The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. Good to see you. You too. Thank you, Father. Tonight, Father, I'd like to focus on the topic of Catholic education. We have uh, received a couple of questions in regards to this topic. I'd like to read one of our emails here from a faithful viewer who writes in and says, I would love to hear your thoughts about the education of our children. Since the Society of St. Pius V does not have nearly enough schools to educate with the Daughters of Mary as teachers, many of us are required to homeschool. There are several Novus Ordo curricula out there, and the SSPX has a curriculum as well. All of these promote papal worship or teach a false or modern doctrine. It appears that many Pius V homeschool families actually do an eclectic mix of materials. My real question is why have the Daughters of Mary not planted schools where we have churches? Is education and less vocations unimportant to the Society of St. Pius V? How can we encourage vocations by simply seeing the nuns once a year? Why is there not at least a correspondence course for catechism beyond sacramental preparation? If you ask 100 Society of St. Pius V families what is the best way to teach X, you will get 100 different answers. It simply doesn't seem to be unifying. I'm currently a homeschooling mom, just curious as to why there are so few schools, uh, one in New York and one in Minnesota, with the nuns. I believe the Ohio school has lay people as educators. Thank you for the very edifying show. We listen as a family to many of the shows. Well, good. And thanks for sending in the, uh, the email. Yeah. That's a series of questions and series of <laughs> observations. So. Um, how long do we have, Tom? Uh, I'll, I'll uh, maybe we can take that statement by statement. Uh, <laughs> sure, we can do First of all, I would just say, though, that, uh, of course, vocations are ultimately important, right? top priority. And uh, the education of the children, top priority of the Catholic Church, top priority of all of us, really. certainly of the parents, and, uh, and certainly of the clergy and the, uh, the religious as well. But uh, in order to... to get straight on, on an answer to this question. First of all, it's necessary to make it clear that the Society of St. Pius V is not the Daughters of Mary, is not the Congregation of St. Pius V. Okay? Those are three separate entities. Okay, <clears throat> They work together, but they're not identical. <clears throat> okay, So, um, <clears throat> the Daughters of Mary uh, do have schools in Minnesota and in um, New York. In New York. And um, they are conducted by the Daughters of Mary, not really by the Society of St. Pius V. Uh, we consider them St. Pius V schools, um, but when you, again, when you say Society of St. Pius V, you've got also the Congregation of St. Pius V, which is a separate entity, and it is, uh, shall we say, its operation is something separate, too. So um, we don't have control, you know, I mean, the priests of the Society of St. Pius V don't have control over the Daughters of Mary, uh, nor should they, really. And uh, 
So the uh, society of St. Pius V does not have control over the congregation of St. Pius V. The Senate is a separate entity uh, to meet a very special need. Okay? And uh, <clears throat> the Daughters of Mary and the, society, the congregation of St. Pius V are so constituted that they send out their members to teach schools and staff uh, missions and uh, parishes, they, they send them out in groups of three, four, so that they can live in a religious community, okay? So the priests of the congregation and the sisters of the Daughters of Mary uh, actually are bound to live in, in community and uh, to have the community life of the divine office and all the other uh, benefits of, of the Catholic community life, the religious life of, of a Catholic uh, religious community. The Society of St. Pius V doesn't have that restriction. Uh, we go back to the days when um, the Novus Order would come in and <clears throat> people everywhere were crying out for the traditional faith or traditional mass. And we were, had to be like the light cavalry. We just had to go wherever was necessary and travel wherever, sort of like the missionary priests of old, you know. Um, and so um, if one were to examine, for example, the early history, of the Catholic Church in the United States of America. They find the missionary priests did arrive. They often belonged to religious orders, but they were dispersed throughout the, the countryside at various missions, and didn't really get to live much of the religious life, the community life that they had signed on for, as it were, when they entered the, when they entered the uh, community, whether it be a congregation or a religious order. Uh, such as the Jesuits with the uh, North American martyrs, um, they had to lead, lead some very solitary, very rugged, pioneering kind of lives out there. Uh, the Society of St. Pius V uh, came into being as you know part of that arrangement where we just had to go and uh, travel wherever we could, as much as we could. Sometimes we'd be offering Mass on Sundays in <clears throat> four different states and five different missions and uh, beginning even a, <clears throat> at a Christmas midnight mass in one state and ending up in, a, in another state a thousand miles away, <clears throat> um, beginning another Christmas midnight uh, a mass, but to end Christmas Day uh, in another time zone. You know? uh, so um, the congregation was not uh, basically set up to have that kind of life. Um, and this is fine. I mean, they, they, they have a, a stability of a religious community, and that, that's a good thing in itself, I believe. Um, <clears throat> but that means they have to have developed uh, to a certain point where they can begin to send out four, three or four priests at a time mm -hmm. to staff places here and there. The same with the sisters. I mean, the, the sisters' communities have grown uh, quite wonderfully. Um, <clears throat> to send out uh, the number of sisters necessary to staff a new school here and there is... It's quite a tall order. That is certainly going to be done in the, in the future, no doubt about it. Um, but I cannot answer for those decisions, you know, what is done and what isn't done. Um, because I, I have no control over it. I'm not in the proceedings and deliberations for that, so I don't know. Um, but I, I would say this, I mean, apart from the question of uh, what the Daughters of Mary do in terms of staffing schools and the decisions made for the congregation, priests and so on, I would say this, that um, 
certainly the education of the young is, is much of a priority for the Society of St. Pius V, for the Daughters of Mary, for the Congregation of St. Pius V, as it is for the Catholic Church throughout history, you know. The Church herself has told us how important that is. So we, we know that we understand the parents prioritizing the education of their children. Um, what I've wanted to do, and this I can't answer for because it's something that involves me, what I've wanted to do for years and years now is to establish a homeschooling program that would be headquartered at Immaculate Conception Academy here in the Cincinnati area and have that homeschooling program conducted um, from uh, our home base, my home base here, uh, to get a, home, a homeschooling program going is very hard to do. It takes enormous resources. We do not have those resources. We, at, at this time, we do not have those resources. You mentioned the Society of St. Pius X. They have vast resources compared to ours. I mean, what we do with a, with a nickel, um, I, I don't know that they are, are accustomed to doing what, what we do with very limited resources. <clears throat> so conducting the school as we do and all the other good works we conduct from the church here and the school um, <clears throat> pretty much exhausts our resources and, and sometimes more than exhausts our resources. But thanks to very generous people over the years, here we are after 30-some years now. Um, <clears throat> it is my hope that in the future we will have the resources necessary to, um, to be able to, to power, direct, supply, a uh, homeschooling program for traditional Catholic families throughout the country. Uh, we are now at Immaculate Conception Academy. <clears throat> As I say, I'm limiting my comments there because that's the only, you mm -hmm. know, that, that's right. where I have any any right to speak. You know, I don't have any right to speak anywhere else. But <clears throat> um, we are trying to partner with the. Uh, the classical Latin School Association out of Kentucky and to become ourselves accredited or certified by the CLSA. We've had some exposure to them, gotten to know them, they've gotten to know us and it's a, it's a very um, happy relationship. Uh, we're very much in favor of their program uh, we believe that it, it is a very powerful uh, educational method. We, we intend to follow it at the Immaculate Conception Academy. That doesn't mean to slavishly follow it, because they don't require that one you know, take every book that they use and follow it uh, down to every last you know, a, a period or exclamation point. <clears throat> um, we have a traditional Catholic school, and we follow the traditional Catholic faith, absolutely, and that is what animates our education. And the traditional Catholic faith uh, is uh, prominently uh, present in, in every subject that we teach. Uh, so it must be. Uh, that's, that is our goal, and that is what we want to, to accomplish, finally. Okay? It's not something that we, you, you simply you know, wave your hand and it automatically happens. It takes a lot of effort to make it so. But that's, that's our goal. We've been adopting the classical program more and more because it is the tried and true program, actually, not only of pagan antiquity, but mostly it's the program of the Catholic Church. That is in what is successful because the Church understands how the human mind works, how the human soul is designed by God, 
And so the classical program, with its development um, uh, of the ability of the mind to think, to uh, the mind to know, to think, to reason, and so on, is perfect for the development of the human being as God made us. And uh, that's what we intend to use. We intend to animate that program with, with the Catholic faith. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're able to do that. I mean, it would take a saint to be a perfect educator. <clears throat> and you'd have to have a school of saints to be the perfect school, right? <clears throat> so no one here is claiming to be a saint. Um, uh, we're wanting to, we're aspiring to sanctity, of course, but uh, we, the more we aspire, the more we realize we're very far from that goal. Uh, so in any case, um, it's a work in progress. What I would like to do, <clears throat> finally, after all these years of dreaming about this, and actually taking some steps in that direction, but finding it, um, and just finding it not possible to follow through to completion in the past. What I'd like to do is um, secure the accreditation or the certification of the Classical Latin School Association and begin to, in earnest, uh, I guess you'd say, craft or develop a homeschool program. Sure. <clears throat> and uh, what that probably is going to require <clears throat> is that we begin to build from the ground up. To simply create a program out of nothing is beyond our powers. Only God can create out of nothing. <clears throat> but to begin to develop a program that will progress year by year by year, starting with the early grades, and to go from there, and to build up a sufficient clientele so that it can begin to pay for itself. Well, that might be possible. You know, God knows whether it, it, it could work. Uh, the program that I envision would be something that I think would be worth everyone's while. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I want to do something that I could unequivocally recommend to every homeschool family <clears throat> to begin, at least in the early grades, maybe kindergarten, first, second, third grades, and then build from there as the child progresses, you know. <clears throat> but um, quite, fr quite frankly, Tom, one of, the, one of the things that stopped me is not only manpower and woman power, because women, woman power is very important in this, in this <laughs> endeavor, you know, <clears throat> is... Um, I just haven't seen a, a full slate of materials that I think would be uh, just right in itself without requiring revisions of some kind, supplementations of some kind. And I just haven't been able to do that myself. <clears throat> uh, we have a valiant first grade teacher who does a wonderful job. <clears throat> We've had a valiant first grade teacher for many years before her who did a wonderful job. <clears throat> but they're the type of people who give so much unreservedly, day by day, to their children. It's not as though they have a lot of, uh, let's shall we say, spare time to go beyond what they're giving in the classroom. You know? uh, you'd almost have to find, uh, as educators who you're not employing in the classroom, like a separate faculty almost, mm -hmm. to care for this distant school. Right. You know? Um, so anyway, um, 
To show that we're serious about it, though, I mean, we did acquire electronics at some point for the sake of uh, enable us to to record the classes that are being given, the cameras in the room that would follow the teacher in the room. Then, of course, you know, we make those available, even make them available online. Then you've got problems, you know, you've got legal questions. What if, what if the camera catches a student sitting in the classroom who doesn't necessarily want to be <laughs> online, or his parents don't want the face of this child on, online, for what, you know, you can understand why these days. You almost have, the te- have to have the teacher outside of the actual class recording a class right. separately, which is why I say... It's it's more complicated than you might think. Sure. Yes, we could get together materials, put them in a box, and mail them to you, and say, "Good luck. Let us know how it turns out." But that's not what we're looking mm-hmm. for right now. That's not what you're looking for. Yeah. So when we do finally, and I say do, I say when, not not whether, not if, but when we do finally get this together, I want it to be something that is well thought out, well prepared, and that it's really going to work. And not something that's just experimental and we have to work the bugs out. We're not going to experiment on your children with a program that is not really well thought out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, the daughters of Mary, you might think, would be very well positioned to do that. <clears throat> and maybe they, maybe they are, but I'm not the one to say that. You know, I think they do a fantastic job of having a, uh, a homeschool program that they could conduct uh, from one of the houses or even the mother house. But that's not my job to do. It's not my, my right to uh, say that this is what they should do. I don't know. I just think they're, they're very capable of doing an excellent job of this. But again, whether they are in a position to do it or not is, is not my call. So I would suggest to this dear lady that she might contact the daughters of Mary and propose it to them. But, but if you propose it to them, uh, my dear friend, I would suggest that you not say to her, don't you value vocations? Don't you care for souls or whatever? Because the answer is, yes, of course they do. You know, that's why sure. they follow their own vocations for that very reason. So you don't have to make it kind of a, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to poke you in the eye sort of thing to get your attention. <clears throat> um, just make it very positive, you know, mm-hmm. and let... Uh, let them know that you are interested and would love to see this and await the day that they can do this. And you know many others yeah. who would also love to see this happen, too. I do, too. I, I know there are many, many people uh, in all the missions I serve who would, who would sign up in a heartbeat. They'd have their children um, enrolled as soon as they found out. In fact, some of the people have already had their children enrolled you know, in spirit for years. They're just waiting for it to happen. Um, so I'd say, you know, hold, hold, tone down the frustration in this and just try to be positive going forward and encouraging in this and ask if you can help in any way. But Father, what, what does one do now when, while this vast work is, is in progress? If there is no traditional school to send their kids to, if, if homeschooling is the only option, how, what, what curriculum? Well, there have been people who have contacted uh, Immaculate Conception over the years who have said, can you send us the materials that you're using in your first grade class, second grade class, third grade class? With maybe some study guides and some help from the teachers, and can we call the teachers occasionally and ask for some help in this regard? Mm -hmm. And the teachers have been more than willing to help out any way they can. And yes, we have actually bundled up materials and sent them off. 
<clears throat> if we got a hundred requests for those tomorrow, we couldn't possibly do this. An isolated request every now and then that we could handle, but we can be overwhelmed because we don't have an unlimited supply of books and, and workbooks and, and all the rest. <clears throat> I mean, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at a program that might require, hopefully, 100, two, five, 500, you know, first graders, second, third graders around the country, all needing educational materials, right? And all needing guidance, <clears throat> getting tests sent and getting tests returned and corrected and, and organize all of that. Um, I would suggest that parents do what many parents are already doing. They're, they're, trying, they're trying to find a homeschool program <clears throat> that gives all the good without the bad, okay? Which means that they have to, um, they have to really investigate. Now, I mean, I can't sit here and tell you, this is the best uh, homeschool program in the country, go for this. I don't, I don't know. Um, I know that there are, we have traditional Catholic families around the country who are homeschooling their kids. <clears throat> Most of them have developed their curriculum, curricula over time. <clears throat> and uh, they've kind of um, improvised. <clears throat> but very so successfully, in fact, that they found what I consider to be quite, uh, quite good programs. You know? okay. Um, but they are all very much individualized. I mean, after all, uh, this dear lady says that, you know, if you ask a hundred traditional parents how this or that should be taught best, you'll get a hundred different answers. That's not true. You'll get 110 different answers. <laughs> At least, okay? Um, but uh, I know what works for certain families, and uh, we've had very very uneven results. I mean, I see some families who homeschool extremely successfully, and they are preparing uh, National Merit Scholars, and in some cases, more importantly, they're preparing saints, you know. But other homeschool programs just don't seem to work very well at all. And uh, there are you know, parents whose children come out of those programs after years, and they're years behind in their reading ability and their computational ability and and so on. And I, I think the reason is because it takes such dedication. It's, it's superhuman. It's a superhuman task. And it really requires, uh, I mean, a, a mom can do it on her own, but it, it's a superhuman task. She has to be super mom, uh, to be teacher. And ideally, I mean, it's dad too. I mean, no matter how late he gets home from work and how tired he is, his in, involvement in the homeschool process is extremely important. Because not only does that uh, and kind of supplement what mom is teaching, complement what mom is teaching, but it also gives the children a sense of how important this is, that dad's on board. If dad's not on board or appears to be kind of disinterested in this whole thing, the children are going to suffer because they're going to figure, okay, this is mom's thing. And dad doesn't really think this is that important. But so dad's involvement is very important. For example, with prayer, you know, usually mothers are the, are the agents who teach their children the words of the prayers. <clears throat> but that's not the same as teaching the children to pray. Because the time come in the, it comes in the child's life when the child has to not only know the words, but has to realize the importance of prayer. And when the children see their dad praying, uh, 
that really magnifies in their minds the importance of this. Not that they say that their mother's praying is not important, but their dad praying also adds to it a dimension that they don't have otherwise, you know. And really, really drives home the point, this is important, this is important. Mm -hmm. we, we should do this, especially with boys. That's, that's indispensable, boys. So, um, and the same with the homeschooling program. I mean, I haven't reviewed the homeschooling programs. There are, there are others who have. I would like to hear from some of our readers, some of our watchers and listeners, uh, their thoughts about homeschooling programs. You, you know how when you, 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 you see whether there's, they have a five-star rating and you get three-and-a-half stars or four stars or whatever? Um, I don't know that they rate these homeschool programs this way anywhere. I have no idea. And even if they did, it would depend on what the individual rater is looking for in the program. You know, they might not all be looking for the same thing. Um, one, of the, one of the best things that I think we could do to start with, and again, this is in the back of my mind, how do we get off the ground? How do we start this thing? Would be to start a homeschool religion program. Because what I'm hearing from homeschool parents is, Okay, I've got a program, we've got good math, <clears throat> we're using the textbook, we need Saxon or whatever else they're using that they think is successful. <clears throat> we've got a good reading program, we've got good uh, grammar program, my kids are learning to diagram, and, they're <clears throat> and so on. they're learning to write well. But what we're not getting is a good religion program with this particular homeschool, you know, as she says, right? We're getting, like, pipolatry, yeah. worship, uh, Francis, for example, no matter what he says, even when he says blasphemous things, that God cannot be God without man, and there is arguing among the persons of the Blessed Trinity, although outwardly they try to show unity, there is no unity within them. I mean, these are all blasphemies. And of course, if you have a homeschool program that tries to, in any way, <clears throat> uh, justify, let alone lionize or canonize these things, even just try to justify or ignore them, you've got a problem. It's not honest. So if we could get a, a homeschool religion program that people could use to, to incorporate into their homeschooling program, right there I think you'd have an excellent endeavor. Right? Maybe we can get that going early on. I don't know. Maybe you can help with this. But I want the parents, such as this dear lady, to be of help to us. and Give us an idea of what, what they see is most needed out there and uh, in what form. Mm -hmm. You know, if they want video programs online, can we do it through this program? You know, have a course of study through this program. We do have the catechism, uh, the brief catechism for adults, treated online. Could that be helpful to them for, let's say, their high school kids? Uh, if it could be, and they would have their high school children watching those programs as part of their religious program education, then tell us what of the programs needs to be supplemented, what needs to be changed, uh, whether they're, they hit the mark, whether they're good educational tools for a, a high school student or not, and give us some guidance in this, because you know, we just don't know this all a priori. Mm -hmm. We need to get some constructive feedback from them. So I'd say the voices of people like, like such as this lady are very important. Father, so, I, I'd like to ask, does the church have a preference between homeschooling and attendance at a traditional, some, 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 some sort of uh, traditional academy or something? I've, I've, heard, I've heard it said before in the past that the church traditionally supported homeschooling, was in favor of homeschooling because of the structure of society. Parents typically didn't go out 
to their jobs, didn't go out to work, didn't leave the house as much as they do now, such as in America where we have at least uh, the, the one parent, sometimes two, both the parents will actually go out and leave the house and, and work, and so they're not home as much. So only since this since society kind of took this path, only then has has uh, has attendance at traditional academies and schools become more more prevalent. How would you how would you uh, respond? To well, that? The, the Catholic Church was the educator of Western civilization, right? And uh, even the enemies of the Church have agreed with that and, and the importance of it, you know. <clears throat> and um, you know, you'd see not only the Jesuit universities of the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, so on, but where even the enemies of the church would would continue those, even after the church had suppressed the Jesuits. Uh, Catherine the Great of Russia and Frederick the Great of Prussia kept the Jesuit schools operating in their non-Catholic countries because they saw the importance of them for the education of their subjects. You know. Um, but you find St. Thomas Aquinas in the early 1200s, at the age of six, being taken to Monte Cassino to uh, enroll there with the monks to study. I mean, what you just said on the face of it is not exactly accurate because, and I know you're just repeating what others say, because, uh, I mean, in, in former times, the, the universality of, of mankind, children were not educated. They didn't go to school. It's true because they might not have schools to go to, because their job was simply to learn how to churn butter, uh, how to spin cloth, how to, uh, you know, thread, how to take care of the livestock. Um, you know, that kind of, this is what they learned to do, to grow into the trades of being a blacksmith or a cobbler or whatever they had to do. This is how they made their living. <clears throat> they didn't have a lot of book learning. Many of them grew up, they did not read. But actually, as it turns out, they, they made a good living, they, they got married, they had families of their own, they listened to the sermons, <clears throat> they went to the church, they saw <clears throat> the, the Bible depicted graphically in the beautiful paintings and the stained glass windows all around them. <clears throat> they didn't even need to read the words because they, they had the picture Bible in the interior of the church all around them, even on the ceilings. Right? <clears throat> and they were very intelligent people. You know? It's not that that they were they were foolish, stupid, ignorant people, uh, they actually had a lot of very, very common sense and had some very deep thoughts, these people. Um, deep thoughts about God, deep thoughts about their fellow human being, deep thoughts about society and so on. So, um, you know, it would be a mistake to say, well, gee, they didn't have the education we have now, so how could they be smart, you know? Uh, they were in many ways much more smart, much smarter, and much had much more common sense than. Well, look at the highly educated today, <laughs> yeah. and it's as though. I mean, what can you say about them? You know, it's sad. It's really sad. Some of the most highly educated people you meet with today uh, could not e even hold hold a, a candle against a caveman. Even daily survival. Sorry, you know I don't mean to offend the cave either. But, but uh, the point is, uh, education today is not really education at all in many cases. <clears throat> but um, the church's understanding of education for many many centuries basically came down to the children who showed great promise <clears throat> and who were being educated to be leaders in society. 
who were going to go into military careers, and often the firstborn son would go into a military career. The secondborn son might go into an ecclesiastical career. <clears throat> but when they came from noble families, they were being educated to be the leaders of the society. As St. Thomas Aquinas was from a noble family, and he was sent to Monte Cassino for the sake of assuming his role in society as a member of the noble family, have, have the powers of leadership and governance, and so on. <clears throat> and these are the people who, who are worthy of, uh, they, they deemed who needed the education beyond merely learning the trade to support the family. And they, they went off to study with the monks. They went off to study with the nuns. And um, they became scholars. I mean, our, our very term cleric, we, we, clergyman, right? we call a clergyman a cleric or a clerk in England. Well, a cleric gives us the same, uh, it comes to the same root as a clerk. And a clerk was somebody who could keep written records, who knew how to write, knew how to, to tabulate and computate. It was an educated person and um, who, um, you know, kept the records of society and uh, knew the statistics governing the society. And they were in the employ of kings and princes and the church itself. Uh, the priests needed to have the skills of a clerk because they needed to note the, the baptisms, the names of those who are baptized and married and and keep registers and things like that. Most people didn't need that. Um, so the church really was the educator of society back then. And yes, they did send their children away to be educated in schools, often at the early, early age of five, six years old. You go back to the time of Our Lady, and when she was born, as a young girl, she was entrusted to the temple to be educated. Uh, and raised in piety and, and used her talents to learn the, the, the skills necessary to serve the temple and this worship, you know. That was, that was common. That was the common way of educating the children back then. So how does the church feel about homeschooling then? Is homeschooling acceptable? Well, the church finds homeschooling acceptable because whereas in the past you might not have a mother or a father who could necessarily even read or write, and they were not necessarily in a position to treat their, teach their children, uh, more abstract sciences, and, and uh, they weren't in a position to teach their children the quadrivium or the triduum, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the trivium. I'm sorry, uh, of the the various subjects and sciences known at the time. Uh, they had the the experts who were skilled in teaching grammar, in teaching logic, in teaching rhetoric. Okay, this was their their strong suit, this was their background, this was their, uh, uh, to the extent that they had degrees, these are the degrees they had. They were expert in teaching these things. And this is the, these are the steps that you take in raising the child for the earliest years. And uh, so um, the parents couldn't necessarily do that. Uh, now you have parents who are well-educated and who are quite, some of them very, very skilled at teaching these things. Whereas now the schools are often failing, or even worse, not only failing to teach the children, but they are teaching them very bad things. So the church now, you can be sure, would say, and I say this with certitude because of the encyclicals of Pope Pius XII, Pius XI, um, St. Pius X, and going back throughout the centuries, 
about the rights of the parents to educate the children, not the state. And we're talking about so-called public schools here in America. We're talking about government schools. When you talk about uh, private schools in uh, in England, you're basically talking about, as I understand, the public schools here. You know, <clears throat> I think public schools. It's somehow reversed. The terminology is reversed there. And uh, I used to know this better, but my brain is atrophying. But anyway, <clears throat> the question is, uh, what do you do when the schools are failing, but the parents now have the necessary knowledge to, uh, to instruct their children, to educate them, not only in the things of the world, but in the things of God? Well, the church would say, parents, your, yours is the primary responsibility for teaching your children. So you have an obligation not to send your children to those schools where they can be corrupted. <clears throat> but you have the obligation to see to their education yourself. And if you don't have a traditional Catholic school uh, to which you can send your children, you have that responsibility to educate them yourselves at home. Okay. So how, what, if, what if both options are available? What are, what are the criteria for determining whether one should homeschool or send their children to a traditional Catholic school? Well, the, the church's first choice would be send them to a traditional Catholic school. Why? Well, <clears throat> because of their proximity, proximity, usually, to our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, for one thing. Uh, and they have access to the Mass, access to the sacraments quite regularly. It's a very rare homeschool family that... Uh, uh, avails itself of daily mass during the week, of confessions just at the request of the child, and then scheduled confession weekly or monthly, as it may be, and um, daily visits to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Um, all of these things. Religious instruction in the school from the, a priest or religious, right? And... Um, and uh, even then, when it's a layperson, somebody with a program, the program is actually set up by a priest or religious. So the program they're following is, even if you have a layperson who's teaching, as in the case of the first earliest, I mean, at home they would have a layperson teaching them anyway. But when you have somebody who is instructed to teach them as catechists, and, and they're given the program that was designed, let's say, by the priest. Uh, they have a, a benefit from that that I, they, they wouldn't necessarily have at home. They might get the catechism at home, and I would hope they would, but I don't know that they get an awful lot more than that. So there's a, not only that, but I mean they have traditional Catholic friends there. Now some homeschooling parents say, that's exactly what I don't want because there are so many different standards among traditional Catholic families. I don't want my children mixing with those other children and those other families because um, our family is, is better than the rest. Or, you know, e even if our family is not better than the rest, we're different and we want to keep it that way. We don't want our kids going to school, our children going to school, talking to children who are being raised in a different way, in a different home, being allowed to watch certain television programs, being allowed themselves to go uh, frequent friends in the neighborhood who, who knows what language they use, right? And having, uh, you know, phones that we would not allow our children to have, that access to things that we would never want our children to access. I mean, I understand that. I understand that point of view. It has a certain compelling uh, force to it. I, I agree with that. But I would say that there's also a fallacy at, at the root of that, and something very, I think, dangerous, too. And that is, well, yes, we do want to shelter our children to a certain extent, 
and to realize we can't shelter them from everything. And what we need to do is essentially what St. John Bosco did, is you, you shelter them to the point that their consciences are not yet able to handle challenges, something that they're not prepared for. But while you're doing that, you have to be preparing them to deal with those challenges. If you shelter them so much that they leave your home and they are not prepared to deal with those challenges, they're going to be swept away by the world in no time. The question is, how do you prepare them to deal with those challenges? Well, often dealing with other people is an important part of that. Dealing with other people, other people's children. Being, learning how to take a stand, have the strength of character to say, this is right, this is wrong. I'm, I'm making the right choice here. I mean, we all have to learn that sometime. Every child has to learn that. <clears throat> and frankly, uh, it's a matter of being tried in the crucible. And uh, for many people, learning, learning the hard way, you know. <clears throat> so um, I, I think uh, some, of the, uh, some of the traditional Catholic homeschool parents <clears throat> have the idea, if I can just keep my children out of, the, out, of the, of the, out of the water for so long, then when the time comes, uh, I can just throw them in the deep end and they're not actually going to swim. It doesn't work that way. They have to be able to negotiate these difficulties, uh, recognize the dangers, make the right choices, take a stand, learn how to take a stand. If they don't, if they don't do that, they're going to be in serious trouble. And what better way to do this than when you, when you have the church and the school and the faculty all united in working together toward that end. Mm -hmm. And in the homeschooling process, automatically that connection is, is weakened in a sense that it's, it's, it's not absent but it's it's not there the way the church actually envisions it. Mm-hmm. And Father, I would say uh, that frequent access to the sacraments would also be a huge help in that in that direction as far as preparing mm-hmm. preparing your conscience for that. There's one more one final objection that I'd, I'd like for you to address here, and that's this idea of of uh, traditional Catholic schools having an unhealthy amount of structure. So, for example, let's say a child has math class from 10:05 to 10:50. What if during that time frame, the child doesn't want to, to learn math. They're not interested in learning math at that time, but maybe at another time, they would, they would be a lot a lot better suited to, to learn math. Or uh, what if they want to learn math in shorter increments? Or what if we allow the children to have more freedom and more flexibility to explore the things that they wanted to learn and not be have, have this rigid structure where they had these set times, where they had to learn these set these set subjects. What if we allow the children more freedom, more flexibility to explore things? Well, well there are programs that do allow that, a freedom to experiment, to kind of follow their own interests. I mean, the Montessori system kind of tends in that direction. There are other programs, but most of them are most success- they're successful in the young childhood age. <clears throat> because, let's face it, I mean, despite the fact that you, you find, yeah, there is value in that. There really is value in that. I understand that. But, you know, again, we we all have to learn that life isn't like that all the time. That there are times when you just have to get the job done, whether you feel like it or not. You have to grow up. 
And you just, you don't want your child growing up into, okay, maybe when you have a four or five or six year old child, I mean, that's nice, okay? They learn, like, they learn, they love to learn, they experiment, they, that's, that's wonderful. I, I personally favor that myself. <clears throat> but at what point does it have to come in the child's life? <clears throat> and I think you'd agree it has to come in every child's life, mm-hmm. when the child is, is, can sit down and actually get the work done, whether he particularly feels like it or not, you know? Um, what age should that be? Well, it depends on the maturity of the child. But it is also a, a demand you make that helps the child to mature, too. It's not just as though, let's wait until the child is ready to do that, because most children are never going to be ready to do that. <laughs> there comes a time when you have to introduce that idea into their lives <clears throat> that, well, you know, mommy and daddy have to take care of certain things when they can, they don't have the right to do, or the power, or the uh, flexibility, or whatever, to do whatever they feel like at any given moment. Like mommy says, I don't feel like cleaning, uh, washing your clothes now. When I when I feel like it, I'll get around to it. I, you know, mommies don't do that. You know? Daddies don't say, well, yeah, I know you need to eat. And for that reason, I need to make money, and I'll make some money when I feel like it. You know, right now, I'm, I'm going bowling with my friends, or I'm, I'm sitting watching the, the, the ball game, or whatever. <clears throat> Moms and dads don't have that flexibility. They had to learn somewhere along the line. <clears throat> that doesn't go in the real world, you know, <laughs> so, so to speak. So the child, again, has to learn to do that. <clears throat> and the only way the child's going to learn to do that is if you require the child to learn to do that. <clears throat> so what you need to do, I think, as a parent, <clears throat> is for those early years, fine, let the child explore Explore with the child. Encourage the child to explore. But as the days, not just the years go by, or the months, but as the weeks and the days go by, be introducing more and more the idea there are certain things we have to do at certain times, and we have to do our best with what we have and however we feel at the moment. To get it, begin to form the idea of the child's uh, mind uh, uh, darkened by original sin and given over to self-will and the passions to get the idea out of the children's mind you know, we have to discipline ourselves <clears throat> discipline is something extremely important and even if like, discipline is something absolutely necessary you're not going to survive without it you're not going to save your soul without it mm-hmm. <clears throat> The message of do what you want when you want, we'll wait until you get around wanting to do what we want you to do, is a way to send a child to hell. So you have to inculcate in the child's mind the necessity of being under some kind of law, the necessity of disciplining his own will, his own curiosity, his own passions, and get him used to the idea, you know, there are times there are certain things we have to do whether we want to do or not, and whether we feel like we're ready to do or not. You know, if my mom tells me to go clean your room, I cannot just say, yeah, okay. And uh, when I feel like it, I I assure you I will when I I feel like it. That doesn't work. Why would that work in the matter of applying the mind in education, too? So, again, that's, I think, a strong suit of the school as opposed to the home school because it's too easy in the home school to never get beyond that mode of doing what you feel like when you feel like doing it, not pushing it. Um, 
because it's easy to have the undisciplined mind come out of that. <clears throat> Again, there are certain parents who are very, very good at disciplining <clears throat> the minds of their children, but not all. <clears throat> and that's why I think some programs hope homeschooling they're very successful, others are not. Sure. It often depends on the personality of the child, too. But you don't want your success or failure to depend on whether your child is, let's say, the ideal candidate for a homeschooling program, and those who are not just don't make, you know, they never escape. The, the need for, you know, uh, being in the, in the snowflake environment. Mm -hmm. um, again, I mean, if, if the children go to a school, they do have a certain regimentation there. But Tom, that's why people have sent their children out to military schools for so long. That's why the church had the children sent off to the monks, because they learned to follow that order that is there. And if there's one thing children need to be able to think rationally, it is order in their lives. This is something that not every homeschool program is going to be able to give them. <clears throat> they need to have a very ordered existence to see the rationality and the logic and the regularity of things, to begin to put it together in their minds. When do they need that? When they're a month old, <clears throat> they need to live in this world long before they reach the age of reason. It's what helps them reach the age of reason, actually, that ordered experience, you know, not living in chaos and disorder and whatever, whatever comes next. You know. <clears throat> so I think the school environment helps with that if the school is conducted properly. Okay, I mean, you can get <clears throat> schools where there is no order reigning. You can get schools where, where it's the iron-clad fist, no allowances for children, being children, you know. <clears throat> but there is a real balance there that is beneficial for the child to learn the benefits of charity, justice, being reasonable, but also that there are certain expectations of the child that the child really has to live up to. Reasonable expectations for the child's ability at that time. And the child also has other classmates who are also involved in that same process. And that itself, I mean, the child is not isolated. The child can have certain friends, and they're, they're kind of going through this experience together. And that can help reinforce this idea, too, you know, and make it not as though I'm, I'm isolated, I'm an independent uh, agent here, uh, uh, just doing this on my own and my own family, and like we're, we're our own planet. <clears throat> but having friends, they can, they can also experience that with. They're very important to, re to encourage them and reinforce that. So there are homeschool environments that are really good. <clears throat> And I've seen them produce wonderful results, <clears throat> intellectually and spiritually. <clears throat> there are certain <clears throat> school environments that I know are not so good, okay? Um, <clears throat> for one reason or another, okay? It's not automatic <clears throat> that one is perfect, the other is very imperfect, okay? <clears throat> but I have seen... <clears throat> If I were given the choice between what I would consider the perfect homeschool environment and the perfect school, like uh, church school environment, okay, let's put it that way, I would say the homeschool environment is a, is a wonderful and powerful tool. But even that, 
will come to the point at some time in the child's training when the church school environment is where they need to be. At some point, that's where they should go. Now, whether that's at like third grade, fifth grade, seventh grade, 11th grade, it depends on the child and how, what, what you know, good they're, they're getting at home. And that depends on very much on the temperament of the child. Um, so there might be a child who uh, comes through successfully a homeschool program and um, gets to be in seventh grade and the parents say, okay, you're at the point now where you need to, to move on to this, the church school because there are certain things that they can teach you there that I cannot teach you here. And certain things you need there. But that child's younger sibling might get to the fifth grade or whatever, and the parents might say, no, or seventh grade, they may say, no, 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 you're staying here, okay? We're going to play this out and see with your temperament uh, and so on, whether maybe by the ninth grade that would be a good transition for you. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, the parents are the ones who, who have, to, have the responsibility for knowing their children. And... Uh, you know, reasonably, but and and not only reasonably, by the grace of God, knowing what is the best move for them at a given time. But again, I would say that at some point in the child's learning, they have to move out of the home and into the church school to really maximize the benefit of even what they got in the home school. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great, Father. Uh, I I think uh, it's been really fascinating, and as you know, I have uh, I have two two toddlers at home and another one on the way. So uh, right. Before I and know it all they are probably. they are very very bright and absolutely uh, darling children. <laughs> yeah. uh, you probably would agree with me in that. Yeah, just like reluctantly, just like you their have mom. To admit that. Just like their mom. <laughs> yeah, take up the mom. Uh, and I think some of their dad too. Yeah. But uh, and I'm sure they have a very blessed future in heaven. But getting them there, that's the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we'll see what happens. You've got. Work to do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, anyway, Father, thanks for being here tonight and oh, answering all those questions. It. Hopefully, we've, we've answered our, our questions. I, I hope so. I'd sure like to hear more. Definitely. We can do that. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.